What's that thing? You're gonna just turn them off. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Hello, world. Welcome to the fourth episode of Word on the Street. My name is Rory, and I live and work in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is located in the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish First Nations. I'm learning about the place I'm in through the eyes and ears of my neighbors. In the last three episodes, my friends at the birdhouse have been gracious enough to allow me to practice interviewing them. This time, I reached out to Trey and his good friend Jamie, also known by their street artist names Grow Up with an exclamation mark and Smoky Devil. They were generous enough to spend time with me at co-op radio station on Columbia Street and answer my newbie interviewer questions. We talk about the work they do at Ops, Overdose Prevention Society, street art, harm reduction, and staying sober in a challenging environment. I myself learned about harm reduction only after I moved to Vancouver, which is one of North America's first cities to introduce the practice. Drug users and people working on the front line have realized that conventional approaches like stigmatizing and criminalizing drug use has not worked for decades. What has been effective is support and open conversations, medical and mental health care to address underlying issues, and harm reduction. So what is harm reduction? Harm reduction is a recognition that despite what society may want for them, abstinence may not be immediately attainable or desirable to people who use drugs. Enforced sobriety is not very long lived. And regardless of whether someone is clean and sober, they still deserve health care and support services that meet them where they're at. Examples of harm reduction are providing clean supplies to reduce transmittable diseases, responding to overdoses, checking drugs for toxicity, and advising safer forms of consumption. Drug use can be very dangerous, especially since fentanyl and other toxic drugs have entered the drug supply in Canada. Harm reduction saves lives, and life can get better as long as you live to see another day. With this introduction, Let's get into the conversation with Trey and Smokey. Uh, I, le- I met Smokey in 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, I was... I wasn't street entrenched yet. I still had, uh, I still had a, a rental suite up in Mount Pleasant, but I was... A functioning addict. Well, yeah, functioning addict still. Yeah. But uh, I met Smokey through a mutual friend and then... Um, and then years later, not that much longer, I was, I think two years later, I was like fully entrenched, like living on the sidewalk, yeah. living on the sidewalk. And, uh, you know, Smokey was always kind of like a little, little bigger, older brother. Yeah. And, uh, he's always been really nice to me and encouraging and um, very positive person, especially with like uh, street art, I remember. Uh, meeting Smokey in the alleyway a couple times and he was just painting feverishly in the night. Yeah. Trying to get trying to get a, a graffiti piece done and then um <laughs> I ended up leaving the downtown east side and getting clean and sober and then coming back and working at ops and Yeah, no I'm super proud of you man. I wanna talk about what you guys do um, at the OPS and also the yeah. art you do. Ops, ops wasn't uh, ops wasn't a thing when I was using down here. The only safe injection site that was around in 2010 was Insight, 
and uh, which is located yeah. at 139 East Hastings. And then I guess Ops was created in 2016? 16, yeah. By Sarah Blythe. So basically what happened is the overdose crisis happened. Um, yeah. Black market fentanyl hit the streets the weekend of Canadian Thanksgiving weekend, 2016, which is in October. Yeah. I guess the recorded overdoses at Insight that weekend was like Friday, it was like 28. And then Saturday was like wow. 32, yeah, which is crazy because I can tell you from working in a safe injection site, it's like sometimes it's like one a day or like yeah. two a day or like some days it's even zero for like three days in a row, zero overdoses. Yeah. So to imagine that there was like 28 in one day, imagine how many overdoses were happening like on the street because there's like, well, really. yeah, yeah, so many, so much open drug use that yeah. it was like boom, 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 boom. You'd like yeah. resuscitate one person and then they'd be like, over here, I got another one. And yeah. then before you were even done that one, someone was like, over here, I got another That's one. Right. That's right. It was just like, just this massive like wave of just ODs. And um, Sarah Blythe, uh, the ops founder, was working in the market, uh, yeah. the downtown Eastside Street Market, which is, um, it was created by the city of Vancouver and Van, Van Du, which is, Van Du stands for the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. It's a safe injection site on the 300 block of East Hastings. And, uh, it was created to alleviate sidewalk sales. A lot of drug users will, you know, hunt and gather and scavenge and see what they can find. Uh, either sometimes it's stolen merchandise from a store from boosting. Sometimes it's donated merchandise where someone just comes down and gives out a bunch of brand new stuff like blankets and food and yeah. non-perishable items. And then they just turn around and sell it right away yeah. uh, for drugs. Uh, some of it is pulled out of a dumpster. And uh, you know, you sell it on the sidewalk for a couple bucks to get what you need, dope usually. And um, basically they decided, hey, what if we had like an empty lot uh, where people could have tables and they could rent a table for $2.50 and then they can openly just, just sell and display merchandise. So the market was open from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Sarah Blythe was managing it. Yeah. And, um, you know, the reality of it is the market hasn't stopped sidewalk sales at all because mm -hmm. basically to someone who has nothing, $2.50 to rent a table at nine in the morning till three, is like $250, right? Like that money could be spent on dope. And, um, <laughs> basically people within the market would, um, would buy drugs or trade, dr trade drugs for merchandise. And, you know, they're not going to, they're sick. They're physically in withdrawal. They want to do drugs right there. They want to get better. They're not going to go to insight. So they just mm. OD in the market or they OD outside the market. And mm. people were running into the market saying, help, help, help. We need help with this. So Sarah Blythe was like, we need to do something right now. She's like, we need like a safe consumption table that reduces stigma where people can just go, Hey, I'm going to use right here. Mm. And, um, uh, so she created that and the loophole, the legal loophole was, it wasn't called an insight or it wasn't called a safe injection site. It was called a medic tent. So it's called the medic tent oh, yeah. with volunteers and a GoFundMe campaign. Some Narcan kits and, um, you it's know, some, kilo those, right? yep, some data sheets to record how many visitors were coming, how many people were, were using and, uh, you got to keep records of how many overdoses yeah. you're reversing and what happens and um basically the city flipped out they're like you can't do that you can't just make a safe injection site sarah you can't do that uh you got to go through like the legal court system you have to like go through the grand 
uh, Court of Canada and, and all this shit and like just like insight you got to fight for it and so it's like people are dying it, when you're trained in like first aid you, you're responsible to help someone if they're dying and this is the same situation so um, do what you got to do I'm gonna do what I got to do and uh, basically they threatened with uh, legal action they threatened with arrest they send in the cops the cops said pack it up you can't do this and she would pack it up and then as soon as the cops would leave she would reopen the tent on the other side of the street in a different location 20 feet over and uh, they just kept getting so angry and basically uh, one thing Sarah's taught me is like um, you know it's good to have media relations and, and make sure that you have the right re media relations because some media sources and outlets are trash <clears throat> global um, <laughs> um, some are respectable um, like CBC yeah and uh, basically she had good uh, media relations with um, you know certain certain outlets from working on the parks board because she was a parks yeah. commissioner for a yeah. long time yeah. so she called the right ones the ones that were going to do the right story and not you know do the do the bleed if it bleeds it leads kind of situation um, you know show the human side and show what they're doing is a good thing and yeah. um, eventually the province got behind her and uh, you know, eventually the city got behind her and, and they made this legal spot where it's called an ops. So an ops is different than insight in the sense that like it's a temporary band-aid safe injection site that's like a pop-up site based on the demographics and the geographical area of um, open drug use or a lot of drug use. So um, we re-sign our contract on a yearly basis, yeah. whereas insight has uh, resign their contract for a 10-year lease. So in mm -hmm. 2021, Insight resigned their lease for 10 years in that building. So they'll be there until 2031. Whereas we resign on a yearly basis. And basically, if magically the overdose crisis was reversed tomorrow, and they found this magical cure to you know make people not want to like, do fentanyl all day, um, mm -hmm. we would be phased out eventually. And that's a good thing, you know, because like the yeah, overdose yeah. crisis sucks, and a lot of people mm -hmm. are dying. And, yeah, um, uh, so that's the difference between ops and insight and how we kind of started you know eventually we got like a little uh, portable trailer with six tables and then we got an indoor space uh, in a commercial unit in the Sheldon Hotel that got demolished and then we moved over into this building where we're doing this interview and then we moved over to 141 we we're constantly getting moved just because we're kind of a temporary thing we don't have like a permanent location um, so currently we're located at 141 East Hastings, um, beside Insight, um, and uh, we have 11 safe consumption tables inside, and we have eight safe tables outside, but the tents are taken down right now because the snow will collapse them. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a safe inhalation site in the back in the little parking lot area, and um, we ops is entirely peer run, which means that Everyone that works there is a is a drug user. Um, so we hire um, people within the community that are active drug users. Basically, the criteria to get a job there is you do drugs and you live on the street or you live in the downtown east side. So mm -hmm. we create safe employment. You might say that we employ the unemployable um, by most work standards. Um, people are allowed to use and get high while they're at work. Um, but if they're too high where they can't see or they're passing out, they would obviously be yeah. taken off because you need, all you need to be is awake 
and be able to spot an overdose. Yeah. Um, we train train them uh, how to use naloxone. We train them how to do violence de-escalation. Our site doesn't allow drug dealing within it. Mm. Um, it's basically like a bar where people come in, they bring their own supply. Instead of buying alcohol in the bar, you bring your own supply in, you consume there. If you use too much, we resuscitate you and send you to the hospital. Um, that's basically it. So. When, after I got clean and I came back down to the downtown east side, um, I tried to uh, find a job with Insight. They wouldn't hire me because I'm a former participant. Um, they just wanted to see me get a little bit more clean time under my belt. They were concerned that if I uh, if I worked with them again, um, just because the success rate of a recovering addict being in an area where there's so much drug use is, is like, they're like, we're afraid you're gonna relapse and then we're gonna have to send you to detox and then it's not gonna be good and we don't wanna see that. So they're like, if you really want to work here, stay clean for a bit longer, come back, come back and reapply. But I was like, really, really wanted to work there. And, and I saw someone who used to work at Insight and they were like, why don't you try um, peer employment? Why don't you, you, you try as a former drug yeah. user? So I went to ops and got a job there in 2018 um, when I was two years clean. It was hard um, being around uh, my friends and family who used in front of me. That was a little triggering because you know, like, I've used with them before, so I did want to get high, but it was like, you know, I had a good recovery program and a good and a good supports and stuff, and I was pretty determined to stay yeah. to stay sober. So now you're a manager. Yeah, and now I'm a manager. Now I now I uh, I work as a manager, and um, yeah. you know, one of the things I do on my side that on the side that 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 gives me enjoyment is is working with street art and doing street art advocacy and that's something smokey's been doing yeah. the entire time he's been down here how long have you been down here smokey uh, 25 years I think. 25 years or so yeah. Yeah. what kind of messages do you put into the street uh, art I, I never put um, don't do drugs on the wall i always feel like <laughs> be careful and know your limits and stuff like that and be, be careful while you're doing always be with someone else and and then we put up a lot of stuff really like missing women and stuff like that and um, just people that have passed away and stuff like that. Like Memorials is what he's most famous for. Families and stuff like that, yeah. I saw the piece that you did for the Women's Memorial March. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how long does it take for you to put up a piece like that? Uh, we actually went hard at it, probably not that long, eh? Two, three hours max. Yeah, mad max, yeah, two hours. Well, it turned out, I, I like that one. Yeah, it's, it's a really good piece. I'm, I'm really impressed with your art, and I see it's Thanks. all over. Thanks. Him too. His, his letters and stuff are awesome. You use the letters and I use the characters. Yeah, so in graffiti, there's like lettering guys that just write their name over and over again. And then there's like character guys who like do different characters. Yeah. And if you were like going to give like a statistic ratio out of like five street artists or graffiti artists, four of them are lettering guys and one guy is like the character guy. So okay. the character guys are always sought after because it's way more interesting to see like yeah. a graph piece with like a cool character than just like reading someone's stupid name. Right. Or someone that just draws the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And then you get like, you get like the graph guys that are like ambidextrous who can do like wicked characters and wicked lettering. They're like, there's not that many of those guys. No. Is there a meaning behind the names you choose? Smoky Devil and Grow Up. Uh, that name, I've had that name Smokey Devil from like the 80s actually. Um, yeah, I've had it for a long, long time because I used to smoke a lot of weed and stuff like that back in school and stuff like that. <laughs> so I got that, I got that name like way back then, back in like well, 80, 
eighth, probably eighty-seven. They started that. Yeah, so we played some time. I thought it was from Friday, but it wasn't. You know what I mean? We haven't been doing that for a long time. Um, and devil was because, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just a part of it. But what about you? How did you grow up? Uh, I started writing that because, um, because I needed to grow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Some people, when they see it, they get really personally attacked. They're yeah, like, "Fuck yeah, you!" Yeah, telling me to grow up. It's not for you. It's for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and it's just. It's. Uh, I like it because it's funny, ironic. Because a grown up wouldn't be writing on a fucking wall with crayons anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe <they> would. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to talk a little bit about um, harm reduction government policy recently. The province decriminalized uh, personal possession of hard drugs. Um, there's still so much to be done yeah. to address the overdose crisis. What right. What do you think needs to be done next in the community and from the government? Uh, oh man, there's so much. This is your wide question. I don't know. What do you think? It's um, it's a it's a good step forward, but I yeah, mean, there's, there's like so much. It's an open door. It opens the door anyways. It's such a huge conversation. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, the thing is that um, you have 2.5 grams on you of a drug. But that's, like, of every kind of drug. It's it's not like, um... I thought thought it would be, like, 2.5 of each kind you have on you. Mm -hmm. Like, say, of each kind of drug. But you can't. It has to be a total... It's a total. Oh, yeah, each kind of drug going to have two not grams. That's like nothing, you know? That's like not very much like when it comes. But I mean, still, you can't, you can't um, look at the bad side of the good. Then there's, at, least it's a, at least it's a start, right? That's the way you got to look at it. They can't allow people to have these big, huge amounts on them at once, and then we just get right out of control, right? You know, so they got to keep some, some boundaries and some kind of like uh, structure with it, or otherwise it'll just be like, you're allowed to have an ounce on you of each kind or something like that. would be crazy. Like, people would be, be just ridiculous, actually. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I honestly, like, I, I, I used to, I'm a recovering drug addict too, and I mean, like, I'm like, I think it'd be crazy to really to do that, right? To legalize it like that. Like, you can go to like a dispensary and buy it, that'd be kind of weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that'd be appropriate. Um, from like a drug user's perspective, I've heard people say like it is a right step forward because like some for like the recreational user, like say like a lawyer or something that like smokes crack on weekends, which it happens, it exists. These yeah, things exist. Uh, it sounds yeah. sounds like crazy. Like a lawyer that smokes crack on weekends only, but it's true. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's and then you got like the 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 housewife who does a little bit of crystal meth to like help her clean her house like these yeah. these people exist right there are like there's not it's not just black and white like street users there's like people who are functioning yeah uh functioning members of society who like to partake in in drugs a lot of people on prescription drugs you know what i mean and um from that perspective those people who are worried about uh, criminal prosecution for possession. Yeah. Uh, if being caught, it's it's really relieving. I've heard some drug users that um, say, you know, like now at least if I if I'm smoking a rock, I don't have to be like completely paranoid that cops yeah. are going to arrest me and yeah. then I'm not going to be allowed to travel to the U.S. for for business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so it is a relief for like. Um, recreational users and I believe like the 2.5 
um, grams equals a total of five points. Maxed. Oh, yeah. um, people have asked too, like, what's it like in the down twenty side? What's what's it going to be like on January first when, like, you know, the decrim goes into effect? It was like it was just like any other day. Yeah. To be totally yeah. honest, like. No, there was no parties. There was, it was, it wasn't. The cops didn't change their tactics. Yeah, yeah, to be yeah. totally honest, like the VPD don't really care about like yeah, minor yeah. possession and haven't for years. Like, like I'm not knocking the province. They did a good thing, but like for like the province to say like you know decrim now you get uh, 2.5 grams is legal, but it's like that's like them saying like hey guess what graffiti's legal in skate parks. <laughs> like it's always been like kind of known like you can go to a skate park and like paint graffiti and like you're not gonna get in trouble it's illegal but it's like chill legal like it's chill you don't gotta worry it's the same thing as like in the downtown east side if you got like 2.5 grams of minor possession vpd don't care about you they got bigger fish to fry the only reason they would have like brought in anyone for 2.5 grams is if they had some investigation on the guy and there was yeah. something more serious going on, going on more serious going on and they just needed to get him off the streets for a little bit that's, when, that's what they usually do to people when they have like drugs on them or something they, they don't bother you unless yeah unless they that's got some they some sort of serious invest they know you've done yeah. done major no-nos yeah, yeah that's not really enforced in the downtown east side no, for years they just tell you to like go Get, go to the officer or go to the inside or something. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, that's BC though. Like, we're a lot, we're a lot, we're years ahead of other places. I mean, like, even look at Calgary or something, if you get caught with 2.5 grams of heroin there, you're going to jail for a few years, you know? Yeah. For like the decrim for small towns, that's yeah. going to be a big, big deal, I think. Yeah. Like, for like, I've, I've lived in a small town before and it was, it was like, once you get labeled the town drug, drug user, Cops just salivate when they see you walking down the street. They're just begging to pull you over. So um, I think it's a good step forward also for like um, small town kind of stigma um, against drug users and stuff within small towns. So I, yeah. I think in the larger scale, the decrim provincially will help uh, destigmatize drug users in the smaller towns. But like the, in the big smoke, in the big city, it's, it's, it's not a really start, a big right? deal. Yeah, and that's really important because drug users don't need to be harassed by police. What right. they need is medical help yeah, exactly. and acceptance and not yeah. having to hide everything. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trey, you are uh, the general manager at um, Ops yeah. um, and you're also in recovery yourself. How do you deal with being around drugs um, and trying to stay sober one day at a time? Um, well, yeah. I, at first it was it was hard at first it was like when i got clean they told me like you can't be around people that use drugs mm. you have to run like for self-preservation and if you go around any of your friends that got hot that you got high with you'll end up getting high and that was true that was absolutely true for the beginning for the beginning um you know it was something that i had to learn and if i go around uh my friends that i got high with i'm yeah. gonna get high yeah and sure. uh you know, some people didn't understand it. Um, some of my friends were like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. 
yeah, you've always been a you've always been a quitter anyway, dude. See you yeah, later. Really. And then there were some that were like, you know, more understanding. They're like, you know, he's doing what he's got to do yeah. for himself, and yeah. it's a positive step. And like, you know, I don't I hate him. You, I don't hate him. How many times I hate on you, guys? People are like that, man. And so for the first two years, I was in like a recovery bubble. Like I didn't yeah. go. I wouldn't go near the downtown east side. Yeah. Uh, I actually put an ocean between me and the downtown east side. I was in Victoria, so it was like a two-hour ferry to get here and get high. Yeah. Um, there's drugs in Victoria too. It was just like, um, I had a good support system there. I was going to 12 step meetings. I was doing, uh, doing, you know, doing the homework. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was doing all this stuff. And then after two years, I was like, you know, I don't want to live in fear anymore. Like people use drugs everywhere. Like, am I just going to like see someone using drugs and like run away like a scared little rabbit? And I was like, this is bullshit. Like I, I want to, like, I didn't get into recovery to like just run from, from people using openly. Like that's just how it is in the world. So I saw other people that were in recovery that were like going to, going to punk shows. I saw people that were like going to concerts and um, being around this. And I was like, uh, I wanted to hang out with those people, so I hung out yeah. with those people and slowly, you know, dipped my foot back into the yeah. the concert thing first. Yeah. Like I didn't just walk into a safe injection site. It was like <laughs> going to a bar and learning how to be in a bar and not drink. I was like learning how to be the guy who drinks soda and plays pool instead of like gets totally hammered, hits on some girl, and then gets in a fight outside the bar. I was like, yeah. I got to do something so I was like keep my hands busy I'm just gonna play pool and drink pop so that worked yeah. I could only stay for like half an hour before I felt triggered and then I would have to leave but the next time I went to a show I was able to stay for like 45 minutes and then the next time after that I was able to stay for an hour and actually see the band play I would have to leave sometimes I would have to leave it was just like listening to that inner trigger right and like keeping myself safe but eventually I was able to withstand you know like two hours at a time in like those public spaces where people were using alcohol and drugs and I had accountability buddies with me that were like sober, that were like, hey, I need to go. They were like, let's get out of here. And then uh, it's it's just like the same theory of like, you know, just slowly reintroducing yourself into situations right. uh, safely with people around you, like accountability people. Yeah. And uh, after you get some clean time in your boat. Yeah, eventually it, it became a point where like I was, I was okay in uh, situations for long periods without feeling triggered but the main thing was just like listening to my inner gut was like if I feel triggered I gotta leave I gotta keep myself safe yeah graffiti's good it, it keeps me focused on paying painting a wall instead of you know yeah. dealing looking at the shit that's happening around me and yeah. uh, you know when I started working at ops uh, same thing at first I could only do like, you know, I told the manager when I started working there, I was like, if, if I got to leave after th half an hour, like you got to understand that. And he was like, do what you got to do, man. And eventually I was able to stay for 45 minutes and then an hour and then an hour and a half. And, um, but you never know what's going to trigger you, right? Like you never know what's going to cause a trauma response. I remember like the first, the first time I really felt triggered was, uh, this guy, a participant in ops was, he did his smash and like smash is like street term for like, uh, doing doing a shot of like fentanyl yeah, yeah. so he does this massive shot of fentanyl <laughs> and then he goes into like this childlike trance where he's like talking to his stepdad and he's talking to his mom and he's talking to talking to his mom and he's he's like there in it again and he's like talking to his mom about 
why didn't she protect him from his stepdad uh, molesting him and beating him? And it was so real and it was so upsetting that I was like, I felt like I was there with him and my eyes were vibrating and I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. And I like, I just bolted and, uh, and you know, called my sponsor and I was able to stay clean for that day. But you never know what's going to trigger you, right? People that use drugs generally use drugs to cover up trauma, cover up feelings of shame, cover up feelings of guilt, cover up emotions. And, and that's what a lot of it is like within the downtown east side. It's just a coping mechanism uh, that was learned and uh, unfortunately it causes major physical problems um, for someone that's using continually over and over and over again. Um, that's just the way I see it. That doesn't mean that it's right. It's just my opinion. But um, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you never know. Working in harm reduction, you never know. If you're a person in recovery, you never know if you're gonna get triggered when it's going to happen, yeah. where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. It's just like the main thing is just like having good supports yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and knowing when to tap out right, and right. keep yourself safe. Yeah. You two are both veterans of the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, for Vancouverites who don't usually come down here, who might get their news from Global, right, right, what right. do you want to say to them? Um, um, don't fear it. Don't fear like... Um, like I've seen some of these uh, TV shows and stuff about down here, and they're like, and how they're like, you can hardly survive one day down here, and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like that really. Like, I mean, not sure it's rough and that. Like, don't get me wrong, but um, it's not like like people tend to say like you'll get robbed and beaten. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? It's not. It's not as bad as people portray it to be. But at the same time. Um, there's been a lot of changes in the streets now. There's a lot of more guns and stuff like that. And people are going right off because of the sleep deprivation and the drugs. And crystal meth and stuff like that, I guess. It's just, it's a lot different than it was 10 years ago. Uh, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of people that are gone now, right? A lot of people are gone. Yeah. The Every, are empty, everyone's dead gone. now, pretty much. But I mean, as I said, don't. Try not to stereotype it and think that everybody down here is a, like a scumbag or whatever. Cause it's not. That's, that's not how it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of people down here that um, are just here because rent is so expensive in other places, right? And uh, stuff like that. There's a lot of like people that still work normal jobs and stuff that live down here as well, right? It's crazy when like people like oh the Vancouver is dying. It's so bad. It's like man, any port city has has a homeless population sure like it's a port city drugs get imported regularly um it's relatively mild weather people can live outside here all year round um people run from themselves they run from like uh you know eastern canada they come out west where it's supposed to be warm they want to re rebuild their lives but then they get here and it's fucking the cost of living is so expensive ridiculous it it feels like you're drowning all the time yeah um drugs are cheap rent is high no wonder there's so many homeless people like yeah and then you factor in the into into um you know the mental health uh has like you know shut down most institutions like like riverview and just you know let everyone out People are just down here with like serious mental illness and like just self-medicating. 
all day long. Like, unfortunately, people that can't take care of themselves and they shouldn't, they should have help of some sort. You know, they can't. They, I, don't, I don't understand why they just dump people like out on the street. Like, it's ridiculous. You know? Yeah, it's it's I, I, like there's a lot of people that probably should be in a mental they, health facility. Yeah, yeah, and they they, they just don't do they, they don't can't take care of themselves. It's not their fault, you know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've never really felt unsafe down here. No, neither have I. It's like people are just people, right? Like they, yeah. they, they may look like it's scary. Some people look scary, like their, phys- their physicality. Stuff, yeah. They've been, you know, they're, they're twitching or they've become hunchbacks. Yeah. Uh, but you know, those are people that could be your own family member. And like Not a lot of people care for each other down here, despite sure. despite what the media portrays it. Yeah, it's, that's what I'm saying. it's a pretty tight knit community, and like. A lot of people know other people, and and you know we feel like it's one big family, despite despite how it looks yeah. on the outside. Yeah. But I mean, um, they with that when we were in the Globe and Mill that one time, and they said it was Canada's roughest neighborhood and stuff like that. Like, come on, <laughs> I don't think so. You know what I mean? Ever been to Winnipeg? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Toronto or anything? Yeah. It's a more rougher than Hastings, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I want to thank you two for your time talking to me. I've learned so much talking to you, so thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. You can often find Trey and Smokey at the Ops at 141 East Hastings. You can also see their art on the Facebook page, Downtown Eastside Artist Collective. In the meantime, take excellent care of each other, and goodbye for now.